0: From the offices of Melman, Castinetti, Rosen, and Thomas,
1: just footsteps from the White House, the heart of the nation's capital. This is 14th and G, the podcast sitting at the intersection of business and policy. Here's your host, CR Wooters.
2: Welcome to 14th and G, the podcast at the intersection of business and policy. This episode, we welcome back our pals. David Castagnetti and Bruce Melman. Bruce put out his quarterly deck uh, a couple days ago, and so we're going to talk through political trends, what to look forward to in November, and uh, we're going to talk about post Kavanaugh. What's that mean? All right, here we go. Bruce and David. Bruce and David, welcome back to 14th and G. Thank you, CR. All right, so we now have a new Supreme Court justice. Uh, let's start with the fun stuff. Where are we after Kavanaugh politically?
0: I mean, look, in my mind, uh, Kavanaugh did a few things. It certainly nationalized it in a way that to the extent there had been a local race, there's not a local race at the Senate level, and even at the House level, it's less than it was. Um, it helped the Republicans get to parity and base enthusiasm, but it's still a month before the election. It seems to have gotten uh, white women who graduated college and live in the suburbs um, uh, particularly enthusiastic to vote against Republicans, but they were already at 11. And so it's not like any of them weren't going to vote, uh, whereas there were some Republican folks, particularly in red states, who uh, who seem more committed to vote than they were before.
1: I, th- I mean, I think to pick up on Bruce's point for a second, that clearly in the Senate it's had a Pretty big impact. It seems like it's solidifying some of the big square states uh, moving forward. I think in in the House, it's it you know it it's motivating the the, the female base of the Democratic Party and it's giving them another reason to come out and to be part of a process and part of a movement that really has kind of gone on for the last year. As we look at the Me Too movement, the Kavanaugh thing is not only kind of changing the political debate. But it's also uh, changing the social mores debate and the way we discuss issues and what we talk about uh, to our own children as well.
2: So it's interesting. I actually, uh, I've been thinking about this a bunch. I don't think it matters. I think I'm a little bit closer to Bruce on this. Like, I think people were where they were. I think this gives a nice little boost to Republicans to say, hey, remember why you voted for us in the first place? We get you some conservative judges. But I feel like, um, you know, the the Me Too thing, argument begins and ends with Donald Trump's how he speaks and talks about women and doesn't necessarily, I'm not sure that Brett Kavanaugh is an election issue. No,
1: I, I don't think he's an election issue, but it is a reminder uh, to women why they need to come out to vote. And I think, it's, it's, again, we're in an election of base motivation, not necessarily about reaching the middle. and that base motivation is real important, as I think the president has figured out as well on the CAFNR piece. I think it's a big piece of the Democrats, too.
0: Although the one thing I'd say on that, David, is you're right, but part of the Trump-activated uh, Republican base and independent base even are folks who think political correctness in America went too far. And then you heard that sure. a lot in 2017, sure. 2016. And I think in 2018, there's some who think uh, that being told, given what a 17-year-old put on his on his yearbook page, uh, is disqualifying for the Supreme Court. That there are some who view that as well. That's a bridge too far for a movement. Sure, I think that's right. I, I just
2: wonder. Um, I just wonder if in two in a month or two, what are we? Thirty days out, so we're you know in two weeks. Close. You know, where does this register on how people voted? Yeah. I, I think the exit polls will be interesting to see on this because I it's certainly a moment in time but I'm not sure it's a paradigm moment in time.
1: I'm not sure it's a paradigm, but the only thing I'd say is remember, some elections are already going on now. Mm-hmm. We have states that have vote by mail, we have states that have ability to easy vote. There, there, there's a different, the, 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 the game plan has definitely changed in terms of drawing out voters. So the early voters, I think, will indicate whether it's had an, uh, 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 the Kavanaugh issue has had an implication on the, the, the debate or not.
2: But what are we, 30 days out? something like that um, from an election. Um, as Castro makes a good point, people start voting beforehand. Um, so, Bruce, I'll turn to you. What's the playing field look like at this point? Um, and then I'll probably dig in a little further at that point.
0: You know, the conventional wisdom, which is uh, right until it's wrong, says the Republicans. Ask Mrs. Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <exactly. laughs> as President Clinton, the <laughs> other one. Yeah. Uh, conventional wisdom says the Republicans uh, are going to lose the House and going to retain the Senate. Um, It's hard to argue with conventional wisdom when you look either race by race or broad national trends. Uh, The Republicans with tons of open seats to defend and often in suburban areas uh, are just uh, are really uh, really struggling to make a plausible case they're going to hold the House. But at the same time, uh, I'd say in the last two weeks, it's gone from the Senate maybe being a, a net even to the Republicans much more likely to pick up one or two at this point. Um, And what's the president's approval rating play into all that?
2: Um, You know, normally you would think like good economy, president's relatively popular with the base. How do you think that plays in?
1: I I mean, historically, the president's approval rating has been one of the most important indicators of where uh, the House and the Senate go. And certainly it's gonna have a bearing in the House. It's a little bit different though, as you start to, I think as you start to look at the Senate, because it's not just, we we have a very bad habit of just looking at national polls and not state-specific polls. And when you look at states like North Dakota and Montana and Indiana, the President's approval numbers are actually above 50%, where conversely, on a national basis, he's still probably hovering somewhere around low 40s. So you really have to look at that, I think, a little bit different than we historically do and look at some of the specific state stuff. But that general number, bodes very well for the House, uh, for the Democrats gaining control of the House.
0: Yeah, you know, just nerding it out, CR. Uh, you're, every, my, you're my resident. I'm guy, guy, I'm well, So every road. time the president's overall approval has been under 50 percent, they've either lost the House or didn't have the House to lose in, in modern midterms. And the president, uh, when we put out our last uh, publication, was at 40? He's at 43 right now, according to Gallup. You know, it's not a lot of time to get to 60. At the same time, it's a, it's a positive trend. But... That's the territory that, if history is a guide, is problematic for ours in the House.
2: But you had a really interesting thing about incumbents in the Senate uh, of the off-party.
0: Can you explain that to us? Sure. Well, we went back and took a look um, because you know that the seats that are up, Democrats are defending 10 seats that President Trump won. And so our thought was, well, how bad is that? We went back to 1978, looked at 333 Senate races, and found that the best predictor of how an incumbent Senator will do in a senate in a re election in a midterm is whether or not their party holds the White House. If they don't hold the White House, if they're in the out party, um, the last 23 incumbents in a state the president won, and they're not from the same party as the president, all 23 of them won re election. The only guy, when you take a look at the five Democrats who are in states that Donald Trump won by zero to ten, the only uh, senator who's got a dogfight on his hands is Senator Nelson in Florida against the sitting governor. Otherwise, the others are looking pretty good in all the polls that we've seen. Um, Interestingly, the other data point, which is clearly going to go down, was uh, 39 out of 43 incumbent out-party senators running in states that the sitting president won by more than 10 won. Except right now, boy, uh, Senator Heitkamp's struggling right now, and Uh, And I think Senator Tester was looking okay in the last poll I saw, but Senator Donnelly and Senator McCaskill are really challenged. So that 91% winning rate's clearly gonna fall. Interesting.
1: I also think though, as you look at that number historically, it's clear those senators were doing their work. They knew they were in trouble. They set up the organizational structures that matter. And again, we can debate whether polls are accurate these days or not accurate. The one thing we do know about the Senators, Camp, and Testers and Donnellys of the world. They knew they were in trouble the day President Trump got elected, and they, too, have created the organizations that are hopefully necessary to get them across the, the finish line at the end of the day.
2: So here's a, a question related. Normally, uh, the as you get closer to election, you file the money, right? And you can see a pretty big movement for lots of folks, from uh, you conservatives kind of moving in to try to save seats, the, the current... There's a bunch of stuff in the paper today that talks about how uh, Republicans are making a last push to try to keep gains under 20 and therefore keep the House. Um, and you see some more conservative money moving into these red states. Um, but does money matter anymore? And the reason I ask that is I just saw, right as we're, te- as we're recording this, that Jennifer Wexton, who's the, the Democrat-challenging uh, Barbara Comstock in northern Virginia, raised $2.6 million in the third quarter. That's her hard dollars. That doesn't even count what whoever else is playing around there. I just feels like everyone has all the money for everything. Is that true?
1: I, I Totally true. I mean, <laughs> I think the, the interesting thing right now is candidates don't necessarily have to make choices based on money. They can make the choices based on what is the best way to reach voters and to get the voters to come out. Your point about a candidate raising two million dollars a house candidate raising two million dollars in a quarter that used to be enough for a whole year as a matter of fact I'm old enough to remember I can remember when the first congressperson raised a million bucks in a house race right so th- that that game has changed not to mention these independent groups and you know certainly on the democratic side I think what did Bloomberg announced the other day he was dropping 40 million or 80 million, like that. Some, somewhere in that, that range. I well, he called it Tuesday. Yeah, <laughs> Adelson has kind of done the same thing on the Republican side. So th- there's also all these outside groups that it just shows you the, the interesting thing to me about the money piece and kind of your $2 million example in the quarter is that the Democratic base nationwide is very motivated and very unified and is doing everything they feel they can do in order to help candidates from other parts of the country. Uh,
2: another data point on that one, and then I'll go to you, Bruce, is is um, Heitkamp, after announcing that she was gonna vote no on Kavanaugh, raised
0: something like $4 million in two days, which is, you know, pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, so I'll agree with David on the broad point that uh, nobody's going to lose for lack of money that we can identify. But the other money thing that's really interesting is if you go back even 20 years, what you find is there are three sets of players. they are candidates, they are parties, and they are outside groups. And the parties were the big dogs even 20 years ago. These days, it's candidates' ability to raise nationwide on the Internet, and outside groups are swamping parties. And so uh, that has lots of profound impacts for our politics. The biggest implication is that parties were big tents. You know, 20 years ago, the Republican Party would accommodate both Connie Morella and uh, Dick Arme. Uh These days... Why The big tent, uh, uh, bringing people together, function of parties is gone. You find your outside funder or two or three, uh, and that's all you really need. And you're no longer beholden to the party, so you don't need to be a team player. And it makes uh, trying to find bipartisan compromise, which is the thing the founders built our system predicated upon, Really hard. Yeah. I, that, fact, I think right. the
1: point on that is that you, you become much more specific issue-driven because that's where the money's coming from in terms of the independent groups. Well,
2: Sheldon Adelson or fill-in-the-blank lefty Tom Steyer, you know, gives you $10 million your campaign, doesn't right. give to you, but runs free, and, you know, and they have one or two issues they care about. You're, they're going to be important you. are paying
1: attention to
0: it.
2: Um, okay, so I'm going I'm to take a, uh, a small shift away from politics. It's still politics, obviously, but to policy The 115th Congress still has to wrap stuff up here. Um, So as we're currently taping this, the Senate is in in session still kind of cleaning up some nominations and a few other things. What is on the agenda between now and when there's a new Congress? So assuming, you know, next couple weeks plus a lame duck.
0: Well, they've got to fund the government past December 7th, avoiding a shutdown over the wall. My money's on the shutdown. Um, the uh, farm bill with food stamps expires. Intelligence, uh, the intelli- the, the, You need to reauthorize the Intelligence Act. The National Flood Insurance Program should be front of mind for a lot of folks these days. That needs money again. Higher Education Act is expiring. Uh, there's some tax provisions, including with the IRS. And then Election Security and the Violence Against Women Act, uh, both of which need to be passed again.
2: And it wouldn't surprise me if you had... Um, since you now have second hurricane in the last little bit, if you don't have some hurricane funding in there at some point, in place, you know, uh, disaster funding wrapped in there someplace, whether they can get away with doing that after this Congress
0: or, the, you know, the next right. one, it'll probably be in there someplace. Hurricanes Florence and Michael, though I don't recall the G-H-I-J-K or L-hurricanes. <laughs> yes,
2: exactly. Um, and then so. Okay, let's say let, let, we get there, and let's just assume we, we wrap up uh, and 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 don't shut down the government. That's a, probably a big assumption, and probably the government will be shut down. But at some point, we're going to get to 2019. What, um, and, That's a big and, assumption. And in, in 2019, you're going to have more Democrats in town than you did, at least on the House side. Um, And you'll still probably have a tight Senate. Let's work under that assumption for now. So what's on tap for 2019, uh, David? I'll turn to you on this one. Kind of what's the top of mind stuff that that you think will have to happen either uh, quickly?
1: So the first thing that's going to have to happen in in the new Congress is they're going to have to elect a new leadership. So that's the first part. Can Mrs. Pelosi pull together 218 votes? And as people always remind me, never underestimate Mrs. Pelosi's uh, ability to count. Um, but there's a lot of pressure. There's going to be a lot of pressure on her, right, whether to kind of go hard left and talk about impeachment. Or I think, CR, to so kind of your point, what are the substantive issues that a new Democratic House would look at? And I think as you look at a new Democratic House, there are three major themes. One is going to be infrastructure and what the implications are for renewing our, our, our rebuilding our roads and bridges throughout the country second part is drug uh, drug pricing costs are out of control and how do we get a handle on that and other other ancillary health care issues that may come with that and the third i think the 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 other big one will be an overall ethics reform package not just in the fundraising space but also providing advocacy towards government and what Senator Warren has a bill that kind of has some foundational uh, issues that that look at that. But I think to me, those are the the big things that the, de- the House Democrats are going to have to look at. And the infrastructure piece uh, provides a whole host of issues that come with it, because the question is not only how do they define infrastructure, is it just roads and bridges, or is it the building of schools and new broadband, and those issues have to play out, but then there also is an issue of where to, how do you pay for it, or do you have to pay for it, and if you have to pay for it, how do you raise revenues, where do you get those revenues, what do they look like, or do you just kind of move ahead with a trillion-dollar infrastructure package that's not paid for?
0: And there may be a bit of uh, oversight and investigation in the news as well. So, um yes, I suspect probably. Just a little bit. <laughs> I suspect. Um so Bruce, if I
2: were to take you out of this podcast studio and drop you as a CEO of a company, uh in two thousand nineteen what do you would be you, a happy guy. Yeah. What do, you, <laughs> what do you what do you what would you be worried about? What what are the CEOs that you're advising, you know, in business, what should they be worried about in early two thousand nineteen, other than, you know, kind of more, you know, Democrats and Republicans yelling at each other?
0: Uh well gosh, you, those guys uh they seem to worry a lot, or at least when they talk to us underlings, they worry a lot. You know, you have a very long in the tooth recovery with the Fed raising interest rates. So one question just narrowly is, can can the good times continue to roll or are we due for a cyclical uh, recession? Another is we are uh, in what is, if we're honest, early innings of a trade war, for sure a trade war with China, possibly uh, with other allies, though the the hope from CEOs and is that, Ambassador Lighthizer and the administration know what they're doing, and this is all about isolating China from the rest of the uh, free economies, Uh, but that's, you know, that's a big challenge for business and a huge challenge for supply chains. You saw that Business Week story that's been denied by everyone but was sourced by Business Week, a very credible publication to 17 current and prior uh, senior intelligence types um, whether or not that little story is true more broadly, whether it's Huawei or ZTE and the telecom networks, um, it's part of a larger supply chain debate. Um, you know, with the Democrats coming and the, the, the folks in the tech sector are really worried about uh, new consumer protections in areas such as privacy. Uh, once upon a time, they could try to negotiate with Congress to figure things out. These days, 50 states uh, may be pushing their own legislation and the Internet's a global medium.
1: By the way, the privacy issue, I, I would just take a uh, 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 challenge, Bruce, a little bit on that. I think the the privacy issue is not just a Democratic issue anymore; it's a Republican issue as well. And when you see folks like Senator Kennedy from Louisiana, Senator Burr from North Carolina, talking about the need to do things in the privacy space, or conversely, Senator Rubio working with Chris Van Hollen on the on the Huawei, ZTE issues. You, 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 it's a, it's a little bit different right now. It's not just a democratic problem it's a republican problem or a democrat problem excuse me it's 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 a republican problem as well and something companies i think i believe all companies not just tech companies but all companies really need to pay attention to
2: um i'd add uh, just a couple things to that i was just thinking of when you were talking about obviously trade we've got a new nafta deal so how that works itself out it feels like most companies
1: usmca are,
2: whatever new <laughs> nafta nafta 2.0 um uh how does I think there's companies that are still trying, still trying to figure out where they, where they, are they winners, are they losers? Do they want that to happen? And also things like minimum wage um, uh, I suspect will come up relatively quickly. Um,
1: well, Amazon certainly changed the debate on minimum wage, right yesterday or the other day. It's like
2: I mean and I think they follow a long group of people, Amazon, Walmart, there's a whole bunch of big employers that have moved in that direction. So uh-huh. I suspect that goes there. And you're gonna worry about a, a state preemption situation there too. So are you raising the floor? Or are you lowering
0: the ceiling? How's that work? Mm-hmm. No, you're totally right. And something else that we didn't really expect that the three of us would be working on as much as we were this year is the rising level of activism. You know, it's at the individual level, it's at the state level, but it's a huge impact on policy. And so, you know, whether it's Nike perceiving an opportunity to leverage the NFL uh, take a knee debate to expand global markets uh, with the Colin Kaepernick ads or In-N-Out Burger, uh, which uh, one of the great fine uh, hamburger institutions in the world. uh, But they found that when they made their normal same donation to the Republicans in California as to the Democrats, their calls to boycott them because the the um, the Judge Kavanaugh debate turned their standard even Stephen donation to Republicans into a statement on an issue they didn't think they were getting involved in.
1: Or even, I mean, to me, I think the other interesting one, just in pure public policy space, is what Walmart did in terms of not selling automatic weapons to mm-hmm. folks under 20, the age of 21. They're, they're, they're spending a lot more time, CEOs, I think, Bruce would agree with this. CEOs are spending more time thinking about public policy and how what's their implication on their business, but also on their ability to recruit talent and to retain talent uh, at the same time. So this is a question I'll
2: ask you, and and I think it's a thing I th- I've th- I've thought about a whole bunch. Millennials are you know, kind of almost a punchline at this point in time where kind of everything is blamed on millennial activity, whatever that means.
1: But they're a huge force. You clearly spend a lot of time in my house. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, this is where I'm going, right? So
2: so, so, first order businesses, uh, you, are both, um, you are both parents of uh, consumers of college and consumers of early college, you know, uh, early post-college jobs. I wonder what your kids and their kids' friends say about, what's happening now because they are taking you mentioned what they're making corporations do uh, younger folks because they're just simply so huge so many of them are forcing a lot of institutions to change so universities for the last few years have been repaying back And trying to deal with former slave owners, and and how do you deal with that? Um, You have uh, companies who are acting differently as they recruit. They are saying things not like you know you have um, we'll pay for your benefits, but also we'll pay for you know adoption fees or other things. They're, They're really forcing social change to happen all over the place, and. Um, I wonder
0: kind of what your perspective on those are. I wish my guys were thinking about jobs, but they're, <laughs> they're happily ensconced in school. David, David, you've got a uh, better perspective.
1: I, I think a, a couple of things What I see from uh, uh, my son's uh, friends is they are when they go to they're, one, they're not afraid to go to work for corporate America, by the way. That's mm-hmm. an acceptable thing to do as much as. Their buddies have gone to NGOs or to the Hill or campaigns, but it's okay to go to work for corporate America. The the other interesting piece, but in going to work for corporate America, they want social change that goes with that. And so they look at, you know, let's use the JP Morgans as an example and kind of what Jamie Dimon did in terms of the post-Charlottesville Uh, incident a little over a year ago now that's important to them they want to feel like who they're working for is somebody who's helping to change the way for the better Um, it is interesting tactically it's very interesting the way they look for jobs and network with people is very different right it's a lot more social media driven it's definitely become a a social media game in terms of how they find positions how recruiters find them uh, as well, including Instagram, Well, so another way
0: David to say that is investing in inner city Detroit is the new nitro cold cold brew and foosball taking, <laughs> <laughs> so I have a couple <laughs> more, and then we can
2: wrap up uh give me some uh give me give me your final thoughts on what you know post election's going to look like here I mean Bruce you made made reference to this before, you think we may get a shutdown. it'll only really be a partial shutdown, so you know what happens there we've got this Mueller thing that's hanging out in the middle of the world um you know, Democrats, are they going to go down the road of, you know, impeaching Kavanaugh and anybody else they can impeach tomorrow? Uh, you know, I'll start with with Bruce and then we'll go to to David. You know, kind of what do you really think going to happen? Um,
0: and maybe not some of the stuff we've talked about. Um, yeah, look, it, it, it depends what the time frame we're talking about. In the short term, I'm actually worried. I'm worried we're going to miss this October by the time December rolls around, uh, which is kind of scary because this doesn't feel like the most fun month people have had. But you know, first, uh, there's already a lot of noise, arguably on both sides, about whether this is going to be a free and fair election or whether there's interference. Maybe it's from Russians, maybe it's from Chinese, maybe it's from biased media, or maybe it's from, uh, uh, you know, billionaires on either side. Uh, the American tradition is you win, you lose, you try your hardest, and you wait for the next election. But what if this election's contested? You know, that's a really scary prospect, but everything you read in the news makes me worry about that. And in the Senate, let me, I not mean to interrupt yeah. you, but in
2: the Senate, you could see two or three of these guys going to overtime, you know, one, Absolutely, you know, for sure, even if it's just plain recount stuff.
0: Right. And so, you know, once upon a time, even a hanging chad, there was like a defined set of what you had to look at and what of you were going to Of course, you've got to come up with Florida again. <laughs> it always comes Sorry back to Florida. Win. Win. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only going to raise it 536 more times. Uh, but at the same time, it's, it, you know, how do you prove or disprove allegations of cyber? So that—that's my biggest nightmare—is November seventh. Uh, there's a people claiming this that, that somebody hacked the election. Uh, I talked about the shutdown. I think it's more likely than not over the wall. At least we understand shutdowns. Um, both parties are amidst uh, internal civil wars and revolutions that I'll leave for David to talk about. But I think that's going to make November and December very messy and very noisy. And then you mentioned the. You know, it's like the diners, drive-ins, and, and, mm-hmm. and whatever. It's the probes, purges, pardons, and partings. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a really chaotic month uh, with respect. And this always happens after a midterm. Just people who are burnt out after two years, uh, there are going to be people who are fired, people who are burnt out, and, and, and you know, people who are, uh, who are going after other people. I, I just, I have this bad feeling that somehow we're all going to miss those great days when all we were talking about was the Kavanaugh hearings.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it is interesting because we've kind of had this discussion and we haven't talked about really Russia and China and the implications they may have on the midterm elections, Mm -hmm. right? People are definitely trying to stop things from happening. That's pretty clear, but are they able to or not? We'll we'll find out the day after the election. I think, as Bruce alluded to, to a certain degree, the Republicans have had their civil war, I would argue. President Trump has redefined the the Republican Party, for better or for worse. Um, from people's viewpoints, they still have to, much like the Democrats have to figure out their next leadership, the Republicans will have a House leadership fight um, in their caucus as well come 2019. Um, and is that McCarthy, Scalise, or some other person? We'll, we'll see what happens. A little bit, we talked a little earlier about the Democrats and kind of, can Mrs. Pelosi get to 218 or not? and who's the heir apparent if she doesn't, and how does that play out? But also remembering, much like the Republicans have had the Tea Party on the left, the de- I mean, on the right, excuse me, the Democrats have the herbal Tea Party on the left that's going to pull that caucus uh, to the left as well, not just progressive, and they're going to have to play that balancing act themselves as they move uh, they move forward. I think the most interesting thing to me, though, about probably— November 9th 2018 and certainly January 2nd 2019 is now we are also in the middle of a democratic primary for the president to be president of the United States and in Washington DC you already start to hear a lot of chatter about the presidential elections who the candidates are where the candidates are on the spectrum Who appeals to the left? Who doesn't? Who's more moderate? Who wants kind of the the Reagan Democrats back in the party? You're really already starting to see that play out. And I think, again, it goes back to the House. You'll see a microcosm of that play out in the House over the first three or four months of what the new Democratic Party looks like.
0: See, I just want to put in a plug. Uh, If you want to know what Ron Burgundy, Colin Kaepernick, Nelson Rockefeller, and Oprah Winfrey have in common, Google the chaos continues. Melman casting (laughs) Nettie Rosen and Thomas. (laughs) That's pretty good.
2: I'll add my one one thought Mm -hmm. here, which is not mentioned. It relates to the 2020 election. First of all, I will say on November 10th, we are in presidential election season. That will happen right away. I do think I think the two things will happen. I think someone will start to sniff around and see if it's possibility of running against the president in a primary. I think they will find that that will not be a plausible scenario. So people have mentioned everybody from Nikki Haley to Flake and whoever else. I think they will realize that is not a plausible scenario. I think you'll have a zillion people running on the left. But here's what my prediction. Someone and I it might be someone like a Howard Schultz who's a non-political person is going to try to take a look at running for president from the middle. And whether that's the middle of a party or the middle of no party at all, where they say, hey, look, we can all agree that folks can marry whoever they want and use whatever bathrooms, and we probably should lower taxes, and we probably should pass trade agreements. But mostly what we should do is get is, is, is have some respect uh, and, and act like an adult. Um, I have this theory that someone is going to run a TV ad that says, I want to watch the news with my children again. <laughs> uh, so... Whether or not that can happen is different, but I do think there'll be some people who think about it and take a very serious shot at it.
0: Sierra, remind us your track record in presidential <laughs> campaign <laughs> <It> with <was> President <laughs> Kerry and <laughs> President <laughs> Gore. And I'm a much better lobbyist. <laughs> <laughs> All,
2: right. All right, Bruce and David, thanks so much for, uh, for stopping in to 14th of G. Thanks. Thank you see ya. Always good to have Bruce and David on the show. And if you're looking for me, my email address is wooders at mc-dc.com. And we'll see you next time, at the intersection of business and policy, right here at 14th and G.